You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the raven too comes from the green dragon. Welcome to Green Dragon Shorts with Jeremy. This episode, I'm going to talk about a very controversial scenario, scenario number 10 from the main rulebook, Heirlooms of Ages Past. Now, this scenario is regardless one of the ones that people don't necessarily want to play competitively because of the random nature of it. You've got random Maelstrom setup and you've got random objective grabbing. But you know what? Those people are not right. This is one of the best scenarios and I'm going to explain why on this episode. Firstly, let's explain what Heirlooms of the Ages Past is. So we've got a scenario here where we're on our board, we've got a Maelstrom setup. So Maelstrom, it's not my favorite setup, but I actually think it works okay in this one because there's some significant choices about where you want to be at the start of the game. Normally Maelstrom, you just go and try, even the second player, and just try and fight and wipe a person out quickly. But in this scenario, wiping out quickly is not necessarily a good idea. It can actually hurt you a little bit. So Maelstrom of Battle, that's where you randomly turn up. You can use some might to, to put the warbands on either parts of it. That's okay. It sets it up. It potentially moves you around. And in this scenario, having your force spread out is not the worst thing in the world. Like, it's nice to keep it together, but it's not terrible. So I don't mind Maelstrom here. And now that there's at least one Legendary Legion with a Maelstrom of Battle bonus, okay, let's use it. Let's use it in a good way, and this is a decent way. So we place relic objectives all over the board. There's six of them on the board, and they're spread out quite a bit. So they're going to cover most of the board. Wherever you are on the board, you're going to be a couple turns away from a, a relic. So that's always a good thing. It means if you spread out, you encourage you to move around. And I've always talked about movement scenarios are more fun because you get lots of little skirmishes, and that's where the game shines. So you get lots of little skirmishes around here. So victory points are that you get six points for being in possession of the relic at the end of the game, so having a model with it. But if you don't have the possession of the relic, but you have more models within three inches of the relic than your opponent, so either the relic is being held by opponent or it's on the ground, you haven't picked it up yet, you get three victory points. So it might have dropped and then you just didn't get it for some reason. So that that's nice in the, that even if you don't have the relic, the way we read this and the way it's written is that you still got a chance to grab some victory points. Basically half the victory points the person gets for holding on to it if you just go and mob it. That's nice, because sometimes people get it, and you've got to go and, and just attack them, attack them, attack them. Now, there's there's leader kills, but it's only small. One point for, for wounding and two points for killing. That's okay, don't mind that. One point for breaking, two points if you break and they're unbroke. Yep, don't mind that one. And then the banners. Banners, I know that that's controversial as well, but that that's okay. It gives you another objective there. One point for a banner remaining in the game, and two points if you have a banner and your opponent doesn't. So that half the points are in the main objective and half are in those little sub things. So basically you can go for all the little minor objectives and just make sure you mob the objective and then you're okay. You'll get the win. Small win, but you'll get the win. So you've got some choices there. So that's nice. The game ending is clever. It ends at exactly when one force is reduced to 25%. So that's, that's a good part as well. It doesn't go on forever. And this scenario absolutely shines when you allow it to go to that end point. You have to allow it to go to that end point. If it finishes early it, it doesn't work but i think most scenarios don't work if you just cut it early so tournament organizers make sure you play it to the entire length give it an extra time if you have to i'll talk about uncovering the relic in just a moment but the relic itself is a light object but you can't pass it so that that means it doesn't move super fast it can move but you also roll before priority a d6 and on a one your model is transfixed now transfix is a pretty big deal so it doesn't move but also doesn't fight particularly well so do you want to give your light object to a really strong hero 
maybe you don't. Maybe you don't on a one, and you can't use might to modify that. So even Boromir walking up, taking the objective, maybe not the best. Suddenly can't strike blows, can't call heroic strikes, can't move. Uh, it's a bit of a challenge. I like it. And finally, let's talk about the Relic, and I'm going to bring some maths into this as well. So what you have to do, and this is where I think the genius of this scenario is, it's not just a number the Relics 1 to 6. There are 6 Relics, but each time you attempt to search it, you stop your movement, you're an unengaged infantry model, you search it, and on a roll of 6, you find it, and you cannot use Might for this. And you take possession of it. So you have it, and you don't give it up. Like, you've got the ring, and you just... You know, there's no way you're giving it up. That's fantastic. The last one is automatic. There's no need to roll for it. So everyone knows that last one's an automatic one, but you don't know when it is. So this allows for the, the tactical choices in this scenario. I'm going to go through them, but first, let me just go through these percentages here and what's going on. So let's have a look. At the start of the game, there's six, six objectives. Six objectives at the start of the game. The first one, you've got basically a, a 16, 17%, 17% chance of getting one in six. Okay, that's fine. And you think, okay, it's a one in six roll to get them all. It must be a one in six chance for all of them, but it's not. So the percentage lays out like this. At the start of the game, there's going to be... The, the most likely one is at 40%, it's going to be the last objective. Second, it's going to be the first. And then at 17. And then at 14, you've got the second. At 12%, you've got the third. 10%, you've got the fourth. 8%, uh, you've got the fifth. And so it goes that way. So the fifth is least likely. The last is most likely. So 60% of the time, it's not going to be the last one. So if your tactic is to go for the last one, Hmm, maybe not going to happen all the time. But still, if you're going for early objectives, not a huge chance. But as the objectives get less and less, what happens is the first one always stays the same. All the ones after that still remain lower and lower. But the last objective gets more and more likely. So the more the game goes on, the more likely it will be that it's the last one. The less rolls you have at it, the more likely it's the last one. And what that means is, oftentimes in this scenario, you try to pick up the objectives that you least want to hold. So you send a model that maybe is going to be in danger or something like that just to get rid of an objective that you don't want your opponent to guard and stand around and encircle and wait till the end of the game because that's, that's the worst part about it. So there's basically three phases to this game. First one is the Maelstrom deployment and initial setup of battle lines and positioning. And that that's good fun in itself because what you don't want to do is just commit too early, get wiped out or get all pinned in one spot and then let your opponent grab all the objectives. You can't let them do that. If you get pinned in one spot, even if you're on one objective, all they have to do is break one model through, knock out that objective, and then they've got the whole battlefield to go to. So that's, you want to make sure you're spreading out a bit, but you don't want to lose guys. It's a really nice jostle for positions, and I, I really enjoy that part. Second phase is the flipping of objectives. Some people go really early, and if you've got a small army that can't move around all the time, that's probably not a bad strategy. Go flick over an objective, throw it away. If it's yours, suddenly you reform your battle lines around it and go and defend it. If it's not, you just keep moving and keep trying to get rid of them. And here, the dream strategy, the absolute best strategy is to wait. Wait, 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 wait. And then break through to the one that your opponent wants the most. So usually your opponent will set up with one behind them, so you want to find some way to break through, whether it's a heroic combat and flick some cav around, uh, dismount them, whatever you have to do. Uh, Fast-moving infantry are great for this. Uh, I love Gundabad Berserkers in this role because they've got high courage, so they end up getting it. They probably don't run away, but they've got some fast movement as well. There's, there's fast-moving infantry. Wags. Wags shine in this one because they're infantry and they're fast. So going, tapping the objectives that your opponent wants the most, and once you've succeeded in that, 
then it's hopefully you've set up to try and hit all the objectives as quickly as you can and you just get rid of them in order. So if the, the dream play is in one turn to hit five of them, like that's, it doesn't happen a lot, but that's the dream. That's the best version of this scenario. So you go and you, you hit the back one, you, you hit the one they want the most, and then you have guys in the position who just go flick, 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 flick. If you get one, doesn't matter. You just reform your line and try and help them out. But if you don't, you're left with the one in the best position for you. And it's a pretty good chance of that happening always. Like, it's, it's never worse than a 40% chance it's going to be your back one. And every time you roll a die and don't get it, it just increases and increases the chance that that's going to happen. So that that's that's a fun part of the game, and I really enjoyed that mechanic. And it, there's a lot of, like, when do you go for it? Because if your force starts to die, you might need to pick up the objective ASAP and then end the game. So you might just start flicking them over and flicking your own and hope to get the one in six. Or you might be really patient and say, look, I've got control of this. I'll wait till I'm in the perfect position and then do it. So it's a real, real jostle for position. I, I really enjoy that part. And then finally, you've got the chase of the objective at the end. So once the objective is found, everyone in the battlefield just legs it towards one point. And they're probably spread out a bit. So you get this real heroic fight where everything's trying to get to the objective as much as possible. Oftentimes you're approaching break at that point. So things are failing courage tests. You get to show off that mechanic. Uh, things are out of position. Sometimes models sacrifice themselves. Sometimes models start shielding and try and keep the fight going as long as you can. You get all kinds of interesting scenarios. So you get basically that three parts for this scenario. And I, I really enjoy it. And it's one of my go-tos, especially teaching new players because what I know is that me playing it I, I'm pretty good at it but there's always a bit of a mystery I don't know exactly what's going to happen it gives everyone heaps of choices it's got that real element of the unknown it's got it's got some tactical flexibility you have to be creative and use models in different ways and I just think it's one of the most brilliant scenarios there is I really love it and if you haven't played it for a while because you don't like the randomness I recommend try it in your casual games like don't don't take it to a tournament if you don't want to I understand that people want to be precise at a tournament and everything's got to be exactly right but go try it in some fun games and try some different tactics on it and really hone your skills on it because I think it's one of the most interesting games there is and, and don't forget to roll that one either because then then you sort of ruin the game if you don't roll that one the dice roll at the start of each turn to see the transfix because that's that's a big thing as well i love heirlooms i know that it's one of the most disliked there and maybe i'm bucking a trend a bit maybe i get some hate comments which is always fun but go try out heirlooms if you're anything like me i think you'll enjoy it that's all for now traps win games thank you for listening to the green dragon podcast the Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle-Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash thegreendragonpodcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast, or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.